open space exploration. To be the first means to be a pioneer. Being the first means accomplishing something no one has ever accomplished before. There are trails to be blazed, there's work to be done, and several steps to take. But the pioneer knows that a journey, no matter how long, begins with the first step. Good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It is great to see you today on this first day of March. I know it's not spring, but man, we're coming to the end, right? About a month from now. Anybody with me? Baseball is going to start. Oh, and look, if you get depressed in the month of March, just go to, go, go to Miller Park and eat at TGI Fridays, and you can see what grass looks like when it's green. And it just helps me a little bit. I say to myself, self, I talk to myself a lot. You just think it's hands-free calling when I'm in my car and I'm actually talking to myself. I say, self, the ground will look like just like that. Just give it a few more weeks. So some of you, we might just need to all go to Miller Park for lunch today. Yeah? Everybody's like, oh, I'm all in for that. All right. Well, we're continuing our series on the first church. And today we're going to talk about the testing of the church. And so if you return your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, I'm actually going to cover two chapters in the book of Acts. And we're going to stay within our time frame today, I promise you. And so uh, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5. And I'm going to read today from the message uh, transliteration, which is a paraphrase. And I say that because most of the time I just give you from a translation. So the Bible is translated from the original language uh, or languages. There's three original languages it was written in. Uh, and it's translated. And so it was first done, King James commissioned it done in the 1500s with the Gutenberg Press. And so, and then from there until now, there are unreal numbers of translations, which is basically taking it from the original language and exactly what it says. And so it'd be like if we were to take this message today that I'm preaching and translate it into French or Spanish or German. Uh, and so, Sprechensee uh, Deutsch, anyone? Okay, good. So uh, we're going to translate that. <laughs> and at the end of the day, it's just, it's exactly word for word translation. So there's also a thing called transliterations or paraphrases, the most famous of which is the Living Bible. And so basically it takes the idea or the thought and it kind of encompasses it to communicate what the Bible is trying to communicate. The Living Bible really gained popularity in the 70s with the charismatic renewal. And today probably the most famous or well-known transliteration or paraphrase is the message. I say all of that to say, sometimes people ask me, what do you read? Which version of the Bible, which, which translation of the Bible are you reading? And I read all of them. Matter of fact, before I preach a message, I'll go back to the original language, whether it's Greek, Aramaic, or Hebrew, and I'll exegete it out, which is kind of like doing a, a sentence diagramming. Diagramming sentences, anyone? I hate that. But that's kind of what I do so that I make sure I get it so that I can communicate it in a very simple way. Because if you've ever been to church and you go, man, that was really good. Well, why was it so great? Well, it was just deep. Well, did you understand it? No, but it was just deep. Well, you can find deep in a farm field. You know what I'm talking about? You don't need that in church. And so, 
Are you with me? Thank you. So I'm just, I'm just one beggar to another beggar where to find food. The reality is, is what I want to do is make it so that you understand it. So today, in order to cover these two chapters, I want to go to this message paraphrase. And it's a great tool when you're just trying to overview, when you're trying to get a general understanding of what the author is trying to say. And that's what I want you to see. There's two mirror images of testing that takes place in this New Testament, this first church. It's first recorded in, in Acts chapter 4, and then we see a repeat of it, a mirror image of it in Acts chapter 5. But they kind of go hand in hand. I'm going to skip chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. That talks about when Ananias and Sapphira, they died because they didn't bring an offering or large enough offering to church. We'll talk about that next weekend. We'll be taking a special offering at the end. I'm just joking, but you know what I'm talking about. Okay, good. Everybody's awake. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. While Peter and John were addressing the people, the priests... The chief of the temple police, the Sadducees came up indignant with these upstart apostles that were instructing the people and proclaiming the resurrection from the dead that had taken place in Jesus. They arrested them and threw them into jail until morning, for by now it was late into the evening. But many of those who listened had already believed the message, the good news, the gospel, and round numbers around 5,000. Now let me stop right here and just kind of note a couple of things. One, what's interesting is, is that a demonstration, or excuse me, yes, a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit always opens the door for a presentation of the gospel. And so what they're referring to is in Acts chapter 3, uh, there is a beggar at the temple gate called Beautiful that is healed. He had been, he had been infirmed, had been crippled uh, since birth. And so was somewhere around 40 some odd years of old, people would have known him. All these people that we're talking about today, they all knew each other. Peter and John, the, the New Testament church, the religious leaders of the temple, the temple police, all these people all knew each other. This has taken place just weeks after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So these people would have all been somewhat intimate with each other, would have known each other. But this beggar has been healed from being lame. And so from his paralysis, and, and this demonstration of the power of God, the Holy Spirit, has opened up an opportunity for a presentation of the gospel. This is always true all throughout the New Testament. A demonstration of God's power always opens up for a presentation of the message for the gospel. And sometimes we wonder in the 21st century, why do we not see more demonstrations of the Holy Spirit? And I would tell you the reason why there's demonstrations of the Holy Spirit, i.e. divine healing, is because it is made for a presentation of the gospel. And many times when there's a demonstration of the Holy Spirit, there's no need to present the gospel because everybody in the room is saved. And if you want to see a demonstration of God's power, move it from inside the holy huddles called the church and move it out to the marketplace and where there are lost people. And then God begins to move in a dramatic fashion. We see this over and over and over again. Second thing I want you to note here is that these religious leaders, the temple police, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the religious establishment, they were all one and the same. So what happened is, is the nation of Israel is being occupied by the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire's philosophy of occupation was simply this, that we allow a people group to exist among themselves, for themselves, as long as their rules and regulations don't violate Roman law. So it's almost kind of like a state, like Wisconsin, can do what it wants to do as long as it doesn't violate national or federal law. And so the reality is that's how it's operating. So they had their own government. They had their own church. They had their, all of these mechanisms are all working one and the same. But notice the church is growing, 5,000 believers. Nothing works like the local church works when the local church works the way the local church is designed to work. The local church in and of itself is designed 
It's organic in nature in order to grow. It's not about numbers. It's about growth. So whether it's 100 people that are seeing people saved, whether it's 1,000 people that are seeing people saved, whether it's 5,000 people that are seeing people saved, the local church is designed to grow. It's healthy. Let's read on in, chapter, in verse 5 of chapter 4 of Acts. The next day a meeting was called in Jerusalem. The, ru- the rulers, religious leaders, religion scholars, Annas, the, high, the chief priest, Caiaphas, uh, John, Alexander. Again, all these people knew each other uh, with the New Testament church. Everybody who was anybody was there. And they stood, Peter and John, in the middle of the room, and they grilled them. Who put you in charge here? What business do you have? Verse 8. And with that, Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, let loose. Pulled a full can out. Look what he says. Rulers and leaders of the people, if we have been brought to trial today for helping a sick man put under investigation regarding this healing, I'll be completely frank with you. We have nothing to hide. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one you killed on the cross, the one God raised from the dead by, the, by means of his name, this man stands before you healthy and whole. Jesus is, now he begins to quote the Old Testament prophets, which for them would have been the prophets of old, like Isaiah. The stone that the masons threw out, which is now the cornerstone. Salvation, you know, now he's, he's proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. Salvation comes to no other way. No other name has been given to us by which we can be saved, only this one. Peter preaches the gospel. I want you to note this because I'm going to come back to this in a minute. He preaches the gospel. He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't defend his actions, nor does he try to defend his credentials. Well, I'll tell you who I am. He doesn't do three circles and a snap and a hip. You know, he doesn't do all that. Like, I'm just going to tell you I'm under God's authority, not under your authority. I've been anointed by the Holy Spirit. Did you know what happened to me? Did you hear what happened? The Holy Spirit came down. I began to speak in other tongues. The Spirit of God gave utterance. None of you have that. He doesn't do any of that. Do you know how big my church is? It's it's 5,000 the last time we checked. He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't get in any kind of a contest. He just preaches Jesus. He just goes back to Jesus. He just establishes Jesus. That's all he does. Verse 15. And they sent him out of the room so that they could work out a plan. And they talked it over. What can we do with these men? By now it's known all over town that a miracle has occurred. And that they are behind it. There's no way we can refute that. But so that it doesn't go any further, let's silence them with threats. I love this. So that they won't dare use Jesus' name ever again with anyone. These are intelligent people. I actually think this will work. Look at verse 21. The religious leaders renewed their threats, but then released them because they couldn't come up with a charge that would stick. And they would keep them in jail. The people wouldn't have stood for it, for they were all praising God over what had happened. The man who had been miraculously healed, he's talking about the healing in Acts chapter 3, was over 40 years of age. If you read on to the end of the chapter, it gives you this mindset of what's happening in the church. I want you to look at verse 32 for a second. It says, the whole congregation of believers was united as one, one heart and one mind. There was this unity. The church faces this testing, and instead of lashing out, instead of defending themselves, they just lift high the name of Jesus. The Holy Spirit shows up once again. Read it in those verses, verse 23 through 37 of Acts chapter 4, and shakes the room where they're together. They're empowered once again, and they get up, and they they live to die another day in essence. So Acts chapter 5, again, I'm not going to read the first 12 verses. I will talk about that next weekend. But I want to skip down to verse 12 because it talks about a similar issue that they're dealing with. Now, verses 12 through 16 basically give us another image 
of the church life, which is due to the unity that's happening. Check this out. Through the work of the apostles, many God signs were set up among the people. Many wonderful things were done. They all met regularly in the remarkable harmony on the temple porch named Solomon. But even though people admired them a lot, outsiders were weary about joining them. On the other hand, those who put their trust in the master, Jesus, were added right and left, which means the church was growing daily. Uh, they carried the sick into the streets. They laid them on stretchers and bedrolls, hoping that they would be touched by Peter's shadow when he walked by. They came from villages surrounding Jerusalem, throngs of them bringing the sick and the bedeviled, basically the possessed, and they were all healed. Again, this is just the church being the church. The church is just preaching Jesus, and a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit opens the door for a presentation of the gospel. This is what's happening over and over and over again. But as with anything, it's tested. And so Peter and John are arrested again, and, and they are brought before these same men again, and they're infuriated at this time because we've already told you to be silent once. We've already told you to quit doing this once. We thought we killed Jesus, and then by killing Jesus, we thought we had destroyed this message. But the reality, it just keeps going. It just keeps growing. It just keeps. And so Peter re responds to them again the same way he does in Acts chapter 4, and he just preaches Jesus. He goes right back to the same message. I mean, he was country before country was cool, right? I mean, he was, he, he was Billy Graham before Billy Graham exi existed. Just the simple gospel message of a God who loved you and I enough, that amazing grace that saved a wretch like you and I, and that, and that God was the one who loved us. God was the, the one who came for us. Jesus is his name, and he's the answer. So look at their response. Again, this is the second testing of the church. Acts chapter 5, verse 33. This is the religious establishment. They said, when they heard that, Peter preaching, presenting the gospel, they were furious and wanted to kill him on the spot. But one of the council members stood up, a Pharisee by the name of Gamaliel, a teacher of God's law who was honored by everyone. And he ordered that the men be taken out of the room for a short time. And then he said, fellow Israelites, be careful what you do to these men. Not long ago, Thaddeus made something of a splash claiming to be somebody and got about 400 men to join him. He was killed and his followers dispersed and nothing came of it. A little later, uh, at the time of census, Judas, the Galilean, appeared and acquired a following. He also fizzled out and the people who were with him were scattered to the four winds. Look at verse 38 and 39. This is wisdom. So I t I'm telling you, hands off these men. Let them alone. If this program or work a.k.a. the church, is merely human, it will fall apart. But if it is of God, there is nothing that you can do about it, and you better not be found fighting against God. And the Bible says that they released these men, and they went on their way again to die another day and to continue to proclaim Jesus. I, 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 want, you to, I want to look at these two things because what happens with testing is that sometimes we think that if we're really of God, we're not going to be tested. If the church is really of God, it won't be tested. If, if you are really a Christ follower, you won't be tested. And nothing can be further from the truth. Quite to the contrary, is that when we are of Jesus, when we are of God, when it is real, it will be tested. And there's nothing wrong with that. So when testings and trials come, we don't need to pull away from it. We need to lean into it. We don't need to defend ourselves, but rather just continue to preach Jesus and him crucified. And so I just want to, as we've looked at these two parallel examples that are just right there, 
Just look at some lessons that we can learn from the testing of this first church. This is something that we can learn as a church, lowercase c, the small church, the local church, you, you and I, Life Church, but also something that I really want to speak to more broadly than just us. We're part of this beautiful mosaic known as the Church of Jesus Christ, the large church universal. How do we learn from this? And also then, how then do we individually, because the church is made up of individuals, how do we operate our lives in such a way that then we lead out correctly, thus the church leads correctly, thus Jesus' name is exalted? Because these guys handled it right. And testing and trials will come to Christ followers and it will come to churches, lowercase c and big kc, uppercase c. The reality is that's not the question. The question is how we handle it makes all the difference in the world. Because how the first church handled the testing and the trials and the tribulations is what allowed the church to grow. It didn't stop it. So let's just look at some of the lessons learned from this tested church. First, the testing of the church is not external but internal. Most of the time, the testing that will come will not be external, but internal. What do you mean by that, Aaron? There is a tension that happens. There is a, there is a, a problem that happens. And what we typically think is that we, the church, are going to be tested by sinners, by outsiders, by uh, we're conservative and they're liberal, whatever it is. It's an us and them, us against the world, that the world is going to test us. That's true. But the problem isn't, that's not where the real tests come from. The real tests come from internally, because if we can, you know, a house divided against itself cannot stand. James says that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So if we as a body of Christ, if we begin to defect from one another, if we begin to turn on one another, if we begin to turn inward against one another, if we begin to divide into factions against one another, then what happens? We become divided. Thus, we become powerless. Because what did they say in verse 32? of Acts chapter 4 about this church. They were of one, one mind and one spirit. Is that true of the church today? Not necessarily. What does it say in Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16? They had undeniable harmony, Peterson says. Undeniable harmony. They're together. There's this unity. And this unity becomes attractive because we all want to to be unified. We, we all want to know and be known. And, and the reality is, is that, that tension is going to come. If the enemy of your soul and my soul can destroy the church, he will do so not from the outside, but from the inside. So there's this tension that's found between the religious and between the church. We see it set up here in both of these passages. There's this religious establishment and the church. Now understand, all of these people, this new emerging church, this thing that God's doing through Jesus Christ, and the religious leaders of, of, of Israel at that time all served the same Jehovah God. The difference was, was it comes in between, is Jesus truly the Messiah? The religious establishment said, no, he's not the Messiah. Matter of fact, he was a good man who was a prophet at best, maybe a rabbi, but the reality is he blasphemed against God by claiming that he was the son of God and we crucified him. The church says, no, Jesus Christ is the son of the God. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He did, in fact, fulfill all the Old Testament prophecies. From the, he, he did, in fact, fulfill all the Messianic prophecies. And so he is God. And so there is this division between these two factions. But understand this. Prior to Jesus, these people all worshiped together. Prior to Jesus, these people all went to the same synagogue. Prior to Jesus, these people all knew one another. 
You have to understand that. These are not people that don't know each other. They know each other. They know the religious establishment. They know who the, who the leaders are of the New Testament church. They know Peter, James, and John. They know all of these men that we're going to read about that follow Jesus. They understand them intimately. They're watching all of this happen. And they think that they've done away with Christianity by killing Jesus when exactly the opposite has happened. It's actually they killed him and he came back to life because you cannot kill God. And so Jesus now is in the form, not of the flesh walking the earth, but through the power of the Holy Spirit through the local church. And so the church in essence then is this bride of Christ. It's, 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 it's basis is relationship. It's all about this relationship. They understand that God created us for relationship, not for achievement. The religious establishment is the opposite. They're a group of self-appointed people group, basically to try to keep God, Jehovah God, and the people that follow him on track. And they do this by rules and regulations. This isn't new. This is, this is human behavior. So what happens is we have truth, right? And, and so what we try to do to protect truth, what man tries to do to protect truth is we try to put an outer shell around the inner shell. So truth is here is the kernel. We try to create this buffer system. We call it legalism. And it's all these legalities, these rules and regulations that we go, hey, if you don't violate these, then you'll keep the, you'll keep the central truth. And so we try to protect God. We, we try to put rules and regulations around God. We, we try to put all this around. So we want to do this, and our hearts are really somewhat right, but it's man's efforts to try to control God. It's man's efforts to try to help God. It's man's efforts tried to protect the truth. When Jesus says, I don't need protecting, I am the way, the truth, and life. And no man comes to the Father but through me. And, and because the Old Testament law would have said, hey, that was what the law did. The law kind of put some buffers around in order to keep us from violating. But we understand that the law was unable to keep us. What keeps us? Grace. Paul says it's by grace that we've been saved and through faith. It's a gift of God, lest any of us would boast. And so Jesus is saying in the New Testament, I don't need rules and regulations to keep. I need the truth. I'm married. been married for 20 years. And the reality is, is that, is that my being married according to the law is not what keeps me married to my wife. What keeps me married? Relationship. Because... In this world, we sign contracts all the time. And contracts, if you talk to any attorney, attorney have loopholes or there's way to be, ways for those things to be broken. So the law is inept. The law is incapable. The law does not have the ability. The rules and regulations don't have the ability to keep me. What has the ability to keep me? Relationship. What keeps me married to my wife? Relationship. Relationship. Relationship, right? My southern vernacular comes out every once in a while. It's relationship, not the law. It's not a piece of paper. It's not a covenant. It's not assets or the dividing of assets. It's my relationship. The religious establishment, it's all about rules and regulations. It's all about the law. And with the church, the bride of Christ, no. It's about a relationship between the bride and the groom. What keeps them connected? Relationship. And there's this tension. And this tension is, is, exists to today. There's always going to be this tension between the religious establishment to try to protect God and between the church who are truly followers of Jesus Christ. The religious, they want control. Religion always wants control. It's trying to organize people. It's trying to group people. It's trying to create an order. It's trying to create a hierarchy. There's this control mechanism behind it. Read it in church history. It's not new. This is just how we are 
as humans. The church wants empowerment by the Holy Spirit. They want a fresh encounter with God. They want that amazing grace. They want the Holy Ghost to have presentations and demonstrations. So there's a presentation of the gospel. And so there's this tension. And even to today, there's a tension between rules and regulations and between the freedom of the Spirit and how the Holy Spirit operates and how the church operates. And, and there's this tension. And there's, it's not... It's not um, Static. It's very kinetic. It's moving because the church isn't dead. It's alive. It's an organism. And so there's a movement that happens here. And there's this tension that happens here. And what happens is if we handle this thing correctly, when tension in the church is handled correctly, it results in life change. Every single time we see when the church is tried, when the religious establishment is coming against the church, what do Peter and John do? They preach Jesus. They just lift behind the name of Jesus. They keep their hearts right. When they even get alone, look at the end of chapter 4, when they get alone, verses 22 and following, and they go back to the church, they're not dogging the religious establishment. They're not saying, man, these guys are horrible, and, 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 and they, they don't, they're not blasting them. They're just lifting high the name of Jesus. They're thanking God that they're honored enough that they are being tried, that they're being tested. And then God finds glory in that. Why? Because God doesn't need us to defend ourselves. He doesn't need us to defend him. He's God. And either, in the words of Gamaliel, these actions are of God or they're not of God. And if they are of God, there's nothing you can do to stand against it. And if they're not of God, they're going to take care of themselves by themselves anyhow. And so we see that there's this life change. That's why we see the church continuing to grow. It's growing stronger. How is it growing stronger? They're of one mind, one heart, unity. Chapter 5, uh, verse 12, they have undeniable harmony amongst them. Why? Because they're not in factions. They're not fighting. They understand that their struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not about them against a religious establishment. It's not about Peter against Annas, the high priest. It's not against Peter against Alexander or Peter against Gamaliel. There's not any of this pitting person against person. There is a bigger thing at play, and they understand that. And so the church is growing. It's growing larger because people on the outside are watching how they're handling the conflict. And what do they do? As they do, as Paul would say, they take it as a good soldier. Because they remember the teachings of Jesus. If someone asks you to walk one mile, walk two. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. Let them strike you again. Many times we go, oh, well, I'm a servant of Christ. No, you're not. Well, yeah, you know, man, I'm, I, I'm a servant. No, you're not, Aaron. Aaron, you're not a servant. You know how you know that? Because when you're talked to like a servant, that's how you really know if you're a servant. People all the time say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. Are you really? Let's treat you like one. If I treat you in a bad way, I can't believe they talk to me like that. I can't believe they treated me like that. Well, you said you're a servant. Well, that's beside the point. No, that's exactly the point. These men were beaten. They were flogged. They had every reason to, to push against these guys, yet they didn't. Why? The power of the Holy Ghost. Look, the power of the Holy Ghost is not about how high you jump when you're in church. It's about how straight you walk when you hit the ground. The power of the Holy Spirit is not demonstrated and how great of church services we have. It's how we deal with each other and with people who are against us, who say all manner of evil against us, who test us. When we're tested, that's when the truth really comes out. But when this tension is handled incorrectly, 
It just hurts lost people. It hurts the lost. See, because the lost don't have the ability to understand some of your theology. The lost, those that are outside the church, they don't have the ability to understand some of the inner workings. The lost, they don't have the patience or the grace to understand what's happening. Well, brother so-and-so really doesn't mean this. And sister so-and-so, you know, she just kind of, and, and this is just kind of happened. That's just the way this person is, and it's not. It's a word we used to talk about, we don't talk a whole lot about anymore, called gossip. Murmuring, complaining, backbiting. When you look in the book of Galatians, between the whoremonger and the adulterer, the gossip is right there in the middle going to hell. Because it's a sin. It's a destructive sin. Because here's what happens. If a Christ follower in a church gets offended and they leave that particular local body, where are they going to go? To another church. But if someone who's lost without Jesus looks to the church for help or goes to the church for help and they find no grace and no help and no spirit of God and they leave, where are they going? To hell. That's why Jesus said to the, to the religious establishment, look, the sick are the ones that I came to. I came to seek and save that which is lost. You're found. You get it. You've got an opportunity. These people don't. And what happens in our world is gossip is kind of an old-fashioned word because today we take to social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat. Oh, Margaret, he's going to go there. That's right. Buckle up with both, both seatbelts. And if you read any of the postings on any of these platforms, how many times do you see one group of Christians, not within a local church per se, but within the church, the big C, blasting another group? This group says this group's too liberal. This group says this group is too conservative. This group says this group is trying too hard to reach the world. This group says this group's going to hell. And, and no wonder when people from the outside look at us, because you guys understand that Facebook is not a, just a Christian community, right? The last time I had breakfast with Zuckerberg, he had not yet come to faith in Christ. We're working through that. But, but we get on there and we blast people. Well, Joel Osteen doesn't have a, a definitive theology on hell. Well, I can't believe that, I can't believe that, that, that Rich, um, excuse me, that Rick Warren would actually uh, invite some type of, 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 of Islamic, uh, you know, um, uh, leaders in, in order to have a conversation or a discourse. And, and this is ecumenicalism at its height. And, and I can't believe the church is okay with this. And I can't believe the church is okay with that. When in the world did it ever become okay to shoot at other Christ followers? The last time I read the book, it says, don't use your bullets on anybody else but the devil. When I got out into the world, my dad told me two things. Son, you're going to experience some things and be around some things that you've never been before. So number one, act like you've been there. Don't embarrass me is what he's trying to say. <laughs> and number two, remember whose last name that you carry. And you know what I like to say to all of us, myself included? We need to act like we've been here before and we need to make sure that we're not embarrassing the name who, and whom our banner that we're under. Because when lost people look at us, they don't understand it. They don't get it. We completely, completely drain our every bit of credibility that we have in that moment. Why? Because at the end of the day, it's all about what I think and what I think and what I think. And you may be mad at me today, and that's okay. You may not, you may not agree with me. That's okay. I don't agree with everything that I say. Does that make sense? 
But we're the church. And we're people. And we're flawed. And at the end of the day, let's just preach Jesus. Let's just lift high Jesus. Let's just make sure that we're promoting Jesus and we're not shooting at anybody else and we're not trying to lambast somebody else and we're not trying to bring somebody else down in order to elevate ourselves. That we're not trying to defend our own position or defend our own church or defend our own ideologies, but rather yet just preach Jesus. Because I go back to the words of Gamaliel. How do you know if something is of God? How do you know if something is of God? He says And this is so true because it will last. It will last. The church of Jesus Christ has lasted and will continue to last. And God doesn't need your help or my help. He just needs us to promote Jesus. And how does it last? Acts chapter 5 verse 12 through 16 says there's two things. Number one, it's empowered by the Holy Ghost. We, made, we better make sure that we don't grieve the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's a lot more tougher than what you think he is. But we grieve him when we fight with one another. We grieve him when we shoot at one another. We grieve him when we don't operate with unity and harmony with one another. Are we going to agree on everything? No! <laughs> we're people! I like to joke sometimes. We were all perfect till you showed up. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. Because we're all jacked up. But Jesus is the head of the church, not me. I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. Actually, when you look at my place in Scripture, you're the saints of the church. It's my responsibility to equip you and to stir you up to do good works. When we get to heaven, God's not going to ask me how great of a pastor I was. He's going to ask me, how well did you equip the saints? How well did you teach my word? Did you back down? Because every time I preach a message like this, somebody's going to get mad. And if I was worried about what goes in the offering and who likes me, I would never preach messages like this. But I don't answer to you. I don't answer to any group of people. I answer to God. Well, are you saying you're above it? No. I'm saying there's a board of elders here at Life Church so they could fire me this afternoon. I have credentials with a denomination. They could release me today. But I'm saying that a man or a woman of God worth their salt will preach the word of God unequivocally, whether it's popular or it's not, whether you agree with it, whether it's not, whether it's just me and my family and nobody else shows up. Why? Because it doesn't change with your culture and my culture and your time and my time. God is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit that helps us last. And it's one other thing. It's living out the good news of Jesus. That's it. It's not about me. Listen, it's not about a pope or an archbishop or a cardinal or a priest or a preacher or an evangelist. It's not about a pastor. It's about Jesus. And why is it that we want to elevate this cardinal or this bishop or this priest? Why is it that some of you with Catholic backgrounds get enraged because I'll talk like that? And some of you with Protestant backgrounds will get enraged when I talk about Billy Graham or or T.D. Jakes or whoever your favorite televangelist is. Because none of these men wanted to be elevated. We elevate them. The, The religious establishment elevate them. Why? Because we want to point to a person. It's the same issue that Israel dealt with in the Old Testament. 
when they said, we want a king. And God said, but I'm your king. No, we want a king. But understand me, Israel, I'm your king. And God in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, gives these colorful words that are word pictures of who he is when he discloses himself to his people. I'm Jehovah Rapha. I'm Jehovah Sidkenu. I'm Jehovah God. And he begins to give these descriptions that I'm the God that heals. I'm the God that protects. I'm the God that provides. I'm the God that goes before. I'm the God that goes behind. I'm the one that will never leave you. I'm the God of the fire. I'm the God of the cloud. I'm the God on the mountain. I'm the God in the valley. I'm the God when you're in bondage. I'm the God when you're in the promised land. And here's the reality is that God was saying, I wanna be your God, I wanna be your king. And the Bible says that Israel rejects him. And God says, why? Because we wanna be like every other nation. They can point to a man, they can point to a monarchy, they can point to a dynasty. And so God said, okay. And he looks to try to find men who have his heart. And God knows. It's not going to last. It's not going to work. Preachers will come and preachers will go. Priests will come and priests will go. Popes will come and popes will go. They're all human. Why we elevate them, I have no idea. But it's this thing in us that we want a king. We want someone to point to. In the monarchical reign, ceases until Jesus. What did they put above the cross when he was suspended between heaven and earth? Here hangs the king of the Jews. And even the disciples, when Jesus was talking about the kingdom, they, kill, they still keep thinking he's talking about a physical kingdom. And they argue who's going to get to sit on the right and who's going to get to sit on the left and who's going to be this and who's going to be that. And Jesus kept saying, no, 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 you've got to understand my kingdom is not of this world. So Jesus dies, gives his life, raises again, and gives the Holy Spirit who will empower the church, God's people. So who will be their king? Jesus. Who's the head of the church? Jesus. See, what's happening in Acts is what God wanted to happen in the book of Exodus. And God understands that we're limited. Because what God wants is for people from the outside to look at us and go, how are these people operating with undeniable harmony? Acts chapter 5, verse 12. How are they living with such one mind and one spirit? Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Where's the leader? Where's the grouping? Where's the control mechanisms? No, they're not there. Even when they bring the leaders in, Peter and John, they still point to Jesus. And the religious establishment goes, no, we killed him. He's not here anymore. And oh, no, he is very much here. She's why the writer of Hebrews says he's the great high priest that's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. 
That's why the temple, the Holy of Holies, was rent from top to bottom. Because we can boldly go to the throne of grace and obtain mercy at any time, at any day, at any hour. And what God wants is for this world to look at the church and see unreal harmony. One mind and one spirit. And when the world begins to ask, who's the leader? It's Jesus. Who's in charge of all this? It's Jesus. Who's behind all this? It's Jesus. And that's the reason why Jesus said, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all manner of men unto me. And God knows that it's flawed because Revelation says that there will come a time when we'll see a man in the clouds with a crown on his head and a sickle in his hand and he will come and harvest the earth and then the end shall come. That there will be wars and rumors of wars. That the blood will flow to the bridles of the horse and God will come and he will set an end to the humanity and to, and to the depravity of, 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 hum, of humankind. And he will establish himself as the king. And he will rule and reign forever and ever and ever. But until then, there's a tension. Until then, we're called to manage that tension, not to control it. We're called to be able to make sure that we handle it correctly, to simply point to Jesus. We're called to make sure that God is in us and that we are in him. It's John 15. It's abiding in the vine so that we last. And we're called to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and to live out the good news in our marketplaces, at, 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 the, at the corner drugstore, at the supermarket, at the kids' soccer games, at the high school, at, at college, in, in the high-rise office buildings, in, in our businesses and everywhere that we go on the factory floor that we are a sermon in shoes, that we're Jesus with flesh on so that when people see us, they see Jesus. They don't see factions. They don't see groups of people fighting and backbiting and murmuring and complaining and gossiping. When they log on to a social platform, they see unreal harmony. They see one spirit, one heart, and one mind. That's what will draw people far away from God to Jesus. Because in this world of chaos, the only thing that cuts through that is the love and the grace that is unmerited and undeserved without strings attached. That's what they're looking for in us. That's what your family's looking for out of you. And when you said yes to Jesus, you're gonna be tested. When we said yes as a church, we're gonna be tested. But when we're tested, let us handle that tension correctly. Not throwing stones at one another, not pointed fingers at one another. No, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, according to Ephesians chapter 6, but against principalities and rulers of darkness and everything that exalts itself over the name, the power, and the glory of God. It's not about me and you. It's about a God who loves us and a devil who hates us. And it's running to the arms of Jesus. Father, I just thank you today for your word. And I just pray, help us, God, each and every one of us, to be so full of the Holy Ghost that we're not just spirit-filled, but we're spirit-spilled. God, that we watch how we interact with one another. We watch how we deal with one another. There's an appropriate way to do that. Matthew 18 gives us a complete 
plan for how we should deal within the body with each other when it comes to conflict resolution. And none of it is about being public until there is no other way but to resolve the issue. And even then, it's with inside the doors of the local church. God, forgive me. If there's been anything in me, Lord, that's been about me, about defending me, about proclaiming me, about promoting me. Let me die, Lord, and let you live. God, as a church, forgive us. If there's anything that we've done, Lord, not to be in one mind and in one heart and one unity, but I pray, Lord, let the power of the Holy Ghost be so evident in our lives, not that we're better than someone else, but that it will, it will provide a demonstration of your power that will give an opportunity for a presentation of the gospel because that's what it's all about. Your heart, Jesus, not willing that any should perish. I pray today, God, help us to love the way you love, to live the way you live, to give our lives the way you gave your life for us, to take up our cross and to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen.